0: Good morning. This is Jean Abshire, co-host of the International Power Hour. I'm a professor of political science and international studies, and I'm happy to be here this morning with my co-host, Dr. Cliff Staton, also professor of political science and international studies, and our guest this morning, Dr. Jennifer Ortiz, um, who's a who's a criminal criminology faculty member here at IU Southeast, um, and originally from, or her family is originally from Puerto Rico, and that is actually what we are going to talk about this morning: the situation in Puerto Rico, which is a little bit of a deviation for the international power hour um, because although some folks don't recognize it Puerto Rico is not in fact international. Puerto Rico is a U.S. territory. The people of Puerto Rico are U.S. citizens. Um, and
1: the flag has flown over the U.S. flag has flown over San Juan since 1898. Which but, is
0: a long time.
1: <laughs> but there is a history there, and they are in a different status. I mean there, there are differences. Yes there is citizenship but uh Let's face it, Puerto Rico's a thousand miles from Miami, fifteen hundred miles from Washington, so there's this separateness that is isolates further. them. Um, there is a uh, lack of full voting uh, rights for for Congress in terms of in terms of Puerto Rico. Uh, They't have if they live on the island, they don't have to pay income federal income taxes. Uh, they do not vote in presidential elections, although. Um, they can vote in the primaries if you're a member of the Democratic or Republican Party, and the culture. And, and you know, I think this often comes up when we talk about statehood for Puerto Rico. The culture is predominantly Hispanic, Hispanic, uh, and that that has has many people have argued that this is perhaps one of the reasons why uh, Congress hasn't acted in statehood requests. But
0: I would argue another. Um, Element that uh, creates some parallels and makes it inter- uh, relevant for an international discussion is is. Uh, the sort of status is the, I guess the implications actually of the sort of status that that you described Cliff um, again Puerto Ricans don't have to pay federal income taxes but the federal government passes laws that vary directly and sometimes negatively we'll get into that I think uh, affect them yet they have no representation in Congress there right. is one person who has non-voting status in Congress um, but you know non-voting sure doesn't mean that you have a political voice and so the situation uh, and status of Puerto Rico in some ways uh, reflects similar colonial dynamics that many countries around the world have experienced. Um, And I think that we can see some parallels in how um, how that you know marginal status has has played out that again is is something that would reflect uh be or be reflected in in other countries as well so that's that's kind of our our justification for the the international angle to let people know that Puerto Rico is actually not <laughs> an international uh place in a sense uh and then also uh, again drawing lessons so um Jen, would you like to talk about you know what your connection is to Puerto Rico?
2: Sure, absolutely. So, um, my maternal, uh, well, or my paternal grandparents, my father's parents, uh, emigrated here in um, in the 1950s. Uh, my m- uh, my mother was born in Puerto Rico. Uh, my father was born uh, in the Bronx in New York City. Uh, my mother came here when she was very young uh, in the 1960s. Uh, that's when the rest of her family. Uh, emigrated here. Um, I still have family on the island, so my grandfather lives in uh, Naguabo, which is a town on the eastern uh, shore of Puerto Rico. Uh, my mother-in-law lived in a town in the middle of Puerto Rico uh, up until uh, just before the hurricane. Um, and then I have plenty of other uh, you know, cousins, aunts, uncles, and things like that uh, on the island, so we're very much still connected uh, to the island
0: anybody. Here's a fourth voice. Our producer today, Jose Aponte, has just waved at me and said, I was born in Puerto Rico, so who knows? He may go rogue and join us. (laughs) He's saying no.
1: So, Jen, just a question. You grew up in the Bronx, correct? I grew up in uh, East New York, Brooklyn. Okay, Brooklyn, all right. Um, So, how did, in your household, was the Puerto Rican culture, identity kept alive, or how how does that
2: Absolutely. Uh, So, even though my father was born in the Bronx, he was the Puerto Rican. Uh, he was the alpha male Puerto Rican. Uh, he would wake us up on Sundays and, and force us to learn how to dance salsa. Uh, he for you know, we always ate the food. Uh, we knew all the music. Um, and my father wasn't happy with you knowing only the current music. Uh, he had to know everyone who pretty much ever made a song on the island. Um, He would test us on things, so I had to learn what every symbol on the seal of Puerto Rico represented, from the lamb to every individual uh, smaller icon, uh, what the stripes on the flag mean. I had to learn both the independence flag and the current flag, uh, so I I don't think I could have been raised much more Puerto Rican, even if I had been raised on the island.
1: Did this conflict with uh, perhaps what you were learning in uh, grade school? and? Uh
2: Absolutely, especially when it came to what is the status of Puerto Rico or what is Puerto Rico. Um, So, yeah, it definitely conflicted um, from what you're taught in school and what you learn at home.
1: Did that present a problem for you when you went home and told Dad, this is what they're teaching us?
2: (laughs) My dad was always very adamant about us speaking our piece in school and correcting the uh, misunderstandings uh, so much So that my little sister got in trouble in junior high school. We had a parent-teacher conference because she tried to tell her sixth-grade teacher uh, about the true state of Puerto Rico uh, and Cuba uh, at the time. Um, So, yeah, it definitely caused issues, but we were always told to be very vocal and to educate other people
0: so um cliff would you want to talk a little bit about the the history of puerto rico you mentioned earlier that uh it has been a u.s territory since uh 1898 would you want to talk a little bit about how that came to be
1: sure sure i can i'll, I'll be brief, brief though um <laughs> obviously the first european to touch touch the ground there was columbus and uh in uh, 14 late 1493 He ran into the indigenous peoples there, the Taino Indians, uh, who within 100 years were wiped out basically due to disease and working to death and so on and so forth. And then for the next 400 years, they were under Spanish colonial rule. Uh,
3: Just a quick correction. It's Taino.
1: Taino. Muchas gracias. (laughs) De nada. Uh, yes, Taino. Uh, so, But they were basically wiped out due to diseases as much as the indigenous peoples were throughout the throughout, World. It's actually interesting uh,
2: that you say that because a study just revealed uh, that the genes of the Tainos do still exist on the island of Puerto Rico. The study came out last week, um, which I'm sure made a lot of Puerto Ricans pretty happy.
3: Sure.
0: I sure. went to a cultural center when I was there, too, that was devoted to the legacy of the Tainos. So oh. there's there's definitely consciousness. Yeah.
1: And so after 400 years of Spanish colonial rule, um, uh, Cuba decided to uh, uh, become independent, and they fought their war of independence, and then uh, the U.S. battleship Maine is blown up. Um, We don't know the real story. The best evidence is basically it was was an accident, but nonetheless, the, the Spaniards got the blame, And we intervened under the guise of yellow journalism and expansionism. And we intervened, and the war promptly became the Spanish-American War as opposed to the Cuban War of Independence. And, of course, all the, many of the Cubans, uh, Jose Marti and others, warned that this this is exactly what's going to happen. The U.S. will intervene and take over. Ultimately, the war was short-lived, and after the war, the Treaty of Paris, the United States, Gains, Philippines, Guam, Puerto Rico, and they they're given certain status in terms of the relationship with with the United States. So that's kind of a, a brief brief overview there. So, um, uh, but since that time, of course, in 1950, uh, the uh, uh, Puerto Ricans were granted um, at least to, uh, legally control over all internal matters on, on the island, and the U.S. would assume. Um, uh, foreign policy matters, and also um, uh, in terms of dealing with trade issues and so on. So that that kind of gets us where we are today. It, it's, uh, I think, Puerto Ricans t- prefer to use the term their commonwealth of the United States. Do you hear that, Jim? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and that is, as we said earlier, it puts them in this, I would argue an ambiguous position. Yes, they're U.S. citizens, but uh, they don't have the rights of all citizens, uh, of all American citizens, and puts them in this this, uh, land of of, of what are Puerto Puerto Ricans. And if you even look at the politics on the island today, the three major parties reflect basically the the status of the island. There's Mm -hmm. one party that is pro-independence. There's a party that would supports the status quo and there's a party that that is currently in power today that is supportive of the move towards statehood so in essence the future of the island kind of represents the the political political party system
0: Uh, Puerto Rico uh, or Puerto Ricans have been citizens of the US uh, by act of Congress since 1917 so this is a this is a well-established thing not Not some, you know, accidental thing. This is Congress actually acted to um, establish that status. Um, Congress has has a pretty mixed record, though, in terms of its impacts on Puerto Rico. Um,
2: That's probably the understatement
0: of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I'm good at that occasionally. (laughs) Um, So, I I mean, is that something you want to talk about, Jen, about some of the various acts of Congress that have not necessarily been... I have some stuff I could say. I'm well, sure Cliff has stuff he um, could say, but you, if you've got stuff, go right ahead.
2: No, I think it's important just to mention that uh, a lot of the issues that uh, Puerto Rico is currently facing are created by the U.S. colonial power, right? By the sense of uh, we are essentially a colony, uh, in which we're in, as Cliff said, in this kind of like ambiguous state. Uh, we are born citizens, um, but not necessarily with all the full rights of citizenship. But if we leave Puerto Rico and move to the mainland, yes. we have all the full rights of citizenship, right? It's only by virtue of living on the island that you're denied um, certain rights. Uh, and in
0: fact, actually, since 2015, more Puerto Ricans have resided in the mainland of the U.S. than in Puerto Rico. And in the last – well, since last fall, we've seen significant increases uh, after Hurricane Maria's. The island is yeah, really so, – big- uh, Uh, They
2: estimate that about a quarter million Puerto Ricans have fled since uh, the hurricane hit. But you're right. We have more Puerto Ricans living on the mainland uh, than we do living on the island of Puerto Rico, which may be surprising to some people. But if you go to cities like New York, Chicago, certain places in Florida, you will find huge Puerto Rican uh, um, neighborhoods uh, or groups of people. Uh, I think it's important to mention um, the Forica Act of 1900, uh, which allowed Puerto Rico to establish a civil government, including a governor. However, we, we the people of Puerto Rico, uh, were not allowed to select or elect uh, that governor. The governor was appointed uh, by the U.S. Congress uh, until 1948. it was the first time that we're allowed to elect uh, our own governor. So while they technically tell us we have the right to make internal choices, when you appoint the person who gets to finalize those choices, do the people of Puerto Rico really ever get a chance uh, to make their own um, choices. And the U.S. government to this day, uh, you know, plays a role informally or formally uh, in deciding who gets to be governor, or who do they support on the island, who do they put their efforts uh, behind, including, you know, uh, lobbyists and uh, that protect, you know, corporate interests um, on the island. I think it's important to mention that in addition to um, Getting citizenship in one thousand nine hundred and seventeen under what is now known as the Jones Act, we were also denied the right to decide how we ship our goods to and from uh, the island, which had a major impact even today following yeah. uh, following the hurricane
0: yeah, so the Jones Act stipulates that um, a foreign cargo ship cannot offload or onload goods in Puerto Rico before doing so on the u s mainland so what that means is that um, if you know we 're importing food or clothing or something you know tech you know computers whatever from some other country it would first have to be offloaded for example maybe in miami and then loaded back onto a ship and s- sent then to puerto rico and same thing if puerto rico wants to export anything has to be offloaded in miami or somewhere else in the in the U- in the mainland and then sent onward which that incurs costs right you don't right. offload and onload uh something at a port without incurring costs which make puerto rican goods more expensive essence, and harms their exportability and, uh, and which undermines their economy
1: Jones Act was passed in um, 1920 when we had gotten back from World War I, and it was done primarily to promote the shipbuilding industry in the United States. So what it means within the United States and among American ter- territories, which included Puerto Rico, if you're transporting goods from an American port to another American port, which would include Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. it has to be done on American ships, has to fly an American flag, and the crew has to be American. So in essence, now we know that over the years, yes, uh, that that, is, that has benefited the shipbuilding industry. It's benefited the merchant marine fleet, those that work on these ships and so on. Ports. Uh, ports. But at the same time, uh, it for Puerto Rico's case today, it basically doubles the price of virtually everything coming to the island.
2: And it absolutely affects aid. So what can be shipped in after major, uh, you know, incidences such as, you know, uh, the hurricane. Um, And we had, you know, aid that uh, spoiled or rotted uh, in U.S. ports awaiting, you know, transport to Puerto Rico because of this Jones Act, which is only temporarily uh, lifted uh, by uh, by the current administration.
0: Yeah, Trump did. It took a little while, but Trump did eventually uh, waive the act uh, temporarily, Temporarily. as you said, so that so that post hurricane relief could come in more more quickly and efficiently. Um, I'm getting a signal that we're supposed to take a break here. So uh, the International Power Hour will be right back. The International Power Hour is brought to you by the Department of Political Science at IU Southeast, studying power in all its forms and places, offering multiple tracks in political science and public administration. More information online at ius.edu political-science. The, the International Power Hour is brought to you by the International Studies Department at IU Southeast, where you can prepare for your global future. More information online at ius.edu slash international studies.
3: Hi, we're the Goo Goo Dolls. We're fortunate that we can give our daughters everything they need to grow and learn. But not every child can
4: focus on classes and play dates. Nearly 13 million kids in the U.S. face hunger. That's one in six. School lunch might be their only meal each day. And it's heartbreaking to imagine any child going to bed hungry. We're dreaming of a perfect day when kids can smile, play, and just be kids without worrying about where their next meal will come from. Feeding America is working to make that perfect day a reality.
3: Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste. That food is given to families and children in need. Being a kid should be about doing things that make an ordinary day extraordinary. Learning to play an instrument, building a sandcastle, hosting
4: tea parties, Hunger should never be an obstacle to growing up. You can help end childhood hunger in your community by visiting feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council.
0: Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Uh, welcome back to the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here with my co-host, Cliff Staten and our guest, Dr. Jennifer Ortiz. We are talking about Puerto Rico this morning. And um, Cliff, you were going to pick up where we, were, where we left off talking about the Jones Act a little
1: bit. Just perhaps one comment, because we've talked about uh, U.S. foreign policy and trade policy and protectionism and so on. And in many ways, the Jones Act is an example of, of U.S. protectionism. Because uh, today, for example, when we build merchant ships, that transport goods, when the US, U.S. companies build them, we build on average five ships per year that are greater than 400 feet long, okay? In the 1950s, we were building 45 per year. But the number of laborers that build ships have not changed at all in, the, in those years, which means the sh- our ships are much, much more expensive today, which also means when a company thinks about buying a new ship or retrofitting an old merchant marine ship the best evidence indicates that they're going to refit the older ship which means in many ways this act hurts our our shipping industry because many of the ships are not are not safe plain and simple. And, and, and the US government has admitted this but the problem of course is this raises the cost of ships here as it does of course in terms of affecting Puerto Rico in terms of any goods going to the island are much, much more expensive because of the costs. We have the most expensive shipping industry in the world, and it's reflected when, when you move, when you put it on American-made ships, with American crews, it's going to cost more to Puerto Ricans, plain and simple.
0: Absolutely. So uh, we've heard a lot in the last uh, months about Puerto Rico, well, I mean, even years, uh, years, actually, uh, about this, the, the financial situation in Puerto Rico. We've heard about um, $70 billion in debt, and that doesn't count, a little over $42 billion, additional $42 billion in pension obligations. Um, that's, a, that's a lot of money. And having that sort of a financial burden is obviously going to impact. Um, you know, what the government can do in terms of investing in the future of the island. So, um, Jen, would you want to talk about the financial situation? And-
2: sure, because uh, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that Puerto Ricans have just kind of started, or have just historically spent a lot of money that they didn't have. Um, but the reality is that our financial situation was caused, uh, so the U.S. gave uh, – really strong uh, federal corporate benefits. So corporations who uh, established uh, factories or warehouses in Puerto Rico uh, received really, uh, really large uh, federal tax benefits for doing so.
1: This began um, in 1976.
2: Yes, and the right. idea was that we could strengthen the Puerto Rican economy. We can create jobs there. However, in the 1990s, under President... Well, G- so
0: let me just... It, it, the, these federal tax benefits were to the point where the, the companies who you know, set up operations in Puerto Rico actually paid almost no income tax. It, I mean, this was a tremendous tax break. Yes. And
2: and it's not unheard of, right, because uh, New York State did, has the exact same program run, running right now. Kentucky has a very similar program running right now uh, to try to, you know, draw in corporations. So the idea was to strengthen the Puerto Rican economy. Uh, however, in 1990s, uh, under President Clinton, when they were looking for ways to slash money or to or to raise revenue rather, one of the things that they did was they decided to phase out these corporate benefits in Puerto Rico, and they did so over a 10-year period, beginning in 1996 when President Clinton uh, signs this um, this new uh, tax bill um, into law. And what people don't realize is that corporations realizing that they were going to have to start paying their fair share. Of federal taxes started to close factories and warehouses in Puerto Rico. And um, so they start in 1996, uh, and we see the unemployment rate in Puerto Rico dramatically increase in that 10 year period. And by 2006, the corporations were all gone, which was the last year that they would have received any type of uh, federal benefits.
1: And this clearly results in um, the problem with, with budget deficits.
2: Absolutely, because something else that we don't realize is that uh, any products that were made in Puerto Rico from 1976 to 1996, the Puerto Rican government charged a 10% tax to export those out of the island of Puerto Rico. So even though they were getting federal corporate benefits, they were paying taxes to Puerto Rico uh, at uh, 10% uh, for those products, while Puerto Rico could no longer get that 10%. Uh, so, in addition to losing jobs, we lost a revenue stream uh, into the island uh, well, as far as taxes.
0: I think you, there were two revenue streams last because Puerto Ricans who lost their jobs were no longer paying income tax absolutely. to Puerto Rico. So that is that is absolutely devastating. And and more broadly. Uh, it was truly devastating to the economy. 2005 was actually the last year that Puerto Rico saw economic growth. Yes. That's a long time ago. And And, and before the Great Recession, which also hit it hard.
2: I also think it's important that although we don't pay federal income taxes, we do pay payroll taxes, we pay Social Security taxes, we pay Medicare taxes, and those should be for services. And local income taxes. Yeah, and local income taxes, which are astronomically high in comparison to what uh, sales tax or income tax is uh, on the – mainland. And then at the individual level, although they're paying Medicare and they're paying Social Security, they're not always guaranteed to get those things. So my mother-in-law, for example, lost her health care coverage for for living on the island for too long. So she moved back to the States for a year in order to reinstate uh, Medicare for her uh, before she would be able to move back uh, to uh, to the island. And so... What happens with these is that in addition to losing all this tax revenue, we allowed individuals to purchase bonds, to purchase our debt, essentially. Um, and these individuals could purchase uh, these bonds regardless of where they lived and pay no federal income taxes on them. So if, even if I lived in the state of Indiana, I could purchase Puerto Rican debt and not pay in, and not pay taxes on the profit I make off of those bonds, uh, which becomes a major problem because in any other jurisdiction. So for example, if I wanted to buy bonds from the, in, from, the, from the Indiana government, I'd have to live in Indiana in order to not pay federal taxes on them. I couldn't live across the river and do that. But with Puerto Rico, anyone could buy the bonds regardless of where they lived uh, in the states and get that federal tax benefit. And so and people that, bought up debt.
1: And that's a tremendous incentive to do so for investors. Absolutely. No taxes. So, yeah. and, and ultimately then, you know, initially, Puerto Rico's getting money from the bonds, the economy is in decline and they also they begin using some of this money to shore up their budget deficits and Absolutely. so on.
0: So if uh, other places end up in trouble financially, we as individuals or um, you know, also uh, you know, municipalities, for example, uh, we saw this with Detroit, uh, it is possible to restructure debt if suddenly the debt gets so big that it gets problematic to repay, it is possible to go through like a chapter nine bankruptcy procedure and, you know, restructure it or figure out a payment plan to, that's that's different from the standard payments to pay back, you know, a goodly portion of it, maybe have some of it relieved. Places can do this, mm-hmm. except for Puerto Rico. Yes. Um, in 1984, uh, when U.S. bankruptcy laws were up for review, uh, there was an amendment put into that law that specifically and exclusively barred Puerto Rico from being eligible for the Chapter 9 bankruptcy protections that again other uh, other US entities have have at their disposal absolutely so i think the the easiest way
2: to understand this is uh, as an individual if i borrow too much money or i i max out my credit cards and i can't pay i can go to the courts and say hey i can't pay can you help me either wipe out my debt completely which is possible at the individual level or can you help me restructure renegotiate my debt for a lower interest rate a lower a lower overall balance something that i could financially pay off um States, cities can also work with the courts if they were to overborrow themselves. Uh, Puerto Rico is barred from doing so, which means that they cannot seek relief in the courts uh, for their debt. In essence,
1: the relief has to come from Congress.
2: Absolutely, yes, yes.
1: Also, you've got, um, so we've got issues of bond debt. You've got a declining economy for various reasons we've talked about. And since 2005, basically, people have been leaving the island. These are educated people these are people that can contribute as you lose population you lose the ability to begin to help to pay off these debts uh numbers
0: especially the young and professional who have left those who who could most contribute if they stayed which means
1: you've got a smaller tax base and if you look at the demographics on puerto rico an aging population and also uh, and thus not being productive at, at that age and plus uh you've got uh Interestingly enough, uh, higher demands for health care because of that, and all of this is contributing to uh, the fiscal woes of of Puerto Rico as well.
2: Absolutely, and we have to consider that about 45% of the Island's population is living in poverty, at or below the uh, federal poverty uh, level. What that means is that they're dependent on social services uh, in order to survive. Right when you have an, an aging population, they're dependent on the, on, uh, on government uh, social services for a variety of things from Food benefits to medical benefits, and um, they're not they're not bringing in any money except for maybe sales tax when they purchase something. But they're not adding much to the economy. But they're taking out a lot, and um, so we have so we have a uh, a poverty issue. We have a, a growing unemployment issue. The unemployment uh, rate in Puerto Rico is more than double what the mainland's current unemployment rate is. Uh, to kind of uh, stitch or give some context to that poverty rate. The, highest, uh, the state with the highest poverty rate has, uh, I think it's about 20% of its citizens are living in poverty. I believe it's uh, Mississippi's has the highest poverty rate. So Puerto Rico has almost double that uh, in terms of who uh, the people that are living um, in poverty. 60% of the island receives Medicare or Medicaid. And that becomes really important because the federal government gets to determine how much they reimburse those doctors for those services. So what happens is a doctor in Mississippi will get a certain amount uh, for, let's say, a you know, routine physical. A doctor in Puerto Rico will get less than what the doctor in Mississippi gets. So That's we have right. more people on uh, federal or government-provided health care, and yet the doctors are receiving less. Yes. Uh, money back for those services so if if you're a doctor you are a u.s citizen it's easy to just move to florida and get paid double what you're getting paid on the island and so the young and the educated uh, are fleeing in mass
1: yes the per capita dollar amount returned to puerto rico to help pay for medicare and medicaid is much less than what you find in the other in the 50 states much much less yeah which means puerto rico has to make up the difference right absolutely no. So, again, so, contributing to these fiscal woes.
2: So what's happening is we, we get to $74,000 in debt because all these things combined over time. It doesn't happen overnight, and it's not as a result of Puerto Rico spending on things it shouldn't be spending on, right? It's, it's, it's keeping its people alive, and that's something we could probably agree is something you should invest and spend money on. But when you have no more money, how do you do that? You borrow to actually do that, Right. The uh, number one reason for bankruptcy in, uh, in the mainland is healthcare costs right. at the individual level, right? So individu- uh, as individuals, when we get a $10,000 medical bill and we can't pay it, we might pull out a credit card or we might take out a loan or do something. And Puerto Rico's kind of done the same thing uh, in order to keep its people alive.
0: Yeah, you, you can't just let people die. Um, so the situation was bad. there were uh, the poverty issues, the debt um and the implications of that uh i mean Puerto Rico declared bankruptcy or like defaulted essentially on its on its debt on its bonds it, on its bonds yes. yeah, it didn't declare bankruptcy because it can't um but did default um and then we have hurricane maria yes last august September oh september september sorry. Sorry. 20th oh that late it, it hit landfall arma and... Okay, Irma, Irma came Irma. first, yes. and then <laughs> two Maria. of them. Yes, I should have double checked my dates. Um, and then, oh, sorry, so last September twentieth, um, we have Maria, which was the stronger of the two storms, uh, and that just uh, devastated, devastated
1: Puerto Rico. Which again, we're yes. talking about. We were talking about people leaving the island to begin with, and this has hastened that. More and more leaving, again affecting the tax base and the inability to, to address the, the the debt issue.
2: Absolutely, and to like just to understand like the severity of the storm, We're talking about thirty inches of water uh, and rain uh, were were dumped uh, on the island. Uh, we had about 30, 3-0. 30, Yeah. So if you can look at the flooding that we're going through right now, right, where our river is about. 25 30 inches above normal that's what that's what happened uh, in Puerto Rico and then 155 mile-per-hour winds right just complete devastation to understand if New Albany was hit with 155 miles per hour winds it'd be bad But not as bad as Puerto Rico where a lot of the homes were built before we had building regulations Before we had laws about what materials you could use so we had people living in homes made out of wood uh, made out of really cheap uh, material, um, not on strong uh, foundations. So 155-mile-an-hour winds when your homes are made of really cheap um, you know, products uh, is complete devastation.
0: Well, and we're not – I mean, in this area, we're not familiar with experiencing hurricanes. 155-mile-an-hour winds or, you know, winds close to that, that's not something that blows through in 15 minutes or, you know, an hour. This is hours yes. of – Really strong, intense winds. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so for structures to withstand, you know, not just a, f- a short blast of that intensity, but hours of it, yes. is, that's, a, that's a different thing. And so
2: the, the entire power grid in Puerto Rico went down. So you're talking about 3.3 million people approximately without power. The problem becomes that without power, you don't have running water. So it's not just we can turn on candles and, and we'll be okay. We don't have water either. Uh, the human body can only survive 72 hours without water.
0: So the pumping stations require electricity. Because if, yes. I mean, if I lose my power yes. at my house, I turn on the, sta- the taps, the water still runs. Right? Yes. But that's not the case everywhere. <laughs> it's not the case everywhere. Absolutely. So yeah. no water. Also, of course, no refrigeration. Yes. And Puerto Rico is warm. Yes. Very so weird. living without refrigeration is, um, you know, a, a greater incon and, and and you know air conditioning, of course, too. Um, that is a that is a greater inconvenience. I mean, I can't imagine living without refrigeration for, you know, an extended period of time. Absolutely, I love to go and get my food out of my fridge. Yes. So, Which
1: means you have to make if you can get to a supermarket, you have to go on a daily basis so your food doesn't spoil. I mean, absolutely. That, and that takes time. And,
2: and then, a lot of time. We don't also consider that a lot of medications require a fridge to actually right. store them, such as insulin. Right? So somebody who has diabetes, all of their insulin expired or went bad uh, because they didn't have power to you know, run their, uh, their fridges.
0: Yeah, we – oh, sorry.
3: I just wanted to say real quick that um, for a time after the hurricane hit, the only water source uh, some Puerto Ricans had was the runoff from the hurricane itself. So there was no the fresh 30 water. inches of rain. Right. But. That was the only fresh water we had access to.
2: And then when, uh, when people went in and actually tested it, it had all types of you know, illnesses and bacteria in it, but exactly. that's what people were drinking.
1: Exactly. Because yeah.
2: if, if, if you're desperate, you you'll, will, you tr- will drink, you'll drink, drink whatever's there.
1: And of course, the rain, mudslides, the infrastructure, bridges, roads were out and... Getting materials to these folks became problematic as well.
2: Yes, and I think that uh, I think that that brings up an important point. There was kind of this idea that Puerto Ricans wanted everything done for them. Um, there were people whose towns were completely cut off because the one bridge in and out crumbled. And so I, uh, I watched a video of Puerto Ricans who actually blocked a river using sandbags and then laid cement themselves to create a path for their cars to drive over the river so that they can go get supplies. Um, and so that was kind of what was happening in Puerto Rico, but it's not necessarily what was being uh, reported as to what was happening in Puerto Rico.
0: Yeah, it's I mean I think it's easy to just think oh, you know, electricity's out, that's bad. I mean, I've I've had a power outage for a few hours. It's terrible, but the the broader implications of of this devastation again on ability to have food and um, you know, keep it <laughs> keep it edible and medications mm-hmm. and again, just even the ability to access fundamental things like water and to access a grocery store if you can get there with the with the infrastructure devastation is is tough. Um, I'm again getting a, a signal that we need to take a break. Um, for this break, we've actually got a, a special thing. Um, Lin-Manuel Miranda, who is best known for his uh, work. Hamilton uh, put together a, a song as, as a benefit for Puerto Rico post, uh, post uh, Maria, um, starring a whole bunch of different uh, Latin music artists. It's called Almost Like Praying. And so we have that for you now by, again, Lin-Manuel Miranda and company, Almost Like Praying. Say it loud and there's
4: music playing. Say it soft and it's almost like praying.
3: Just
0: Praying. Welcome back to the International Power Hour. That was uh, Lin Manuel Miranda's "Almost Like Praying," and we have that uh, this morning because we are talking about Puerto Rico. Uh, we have been—we were just talking about the devastation uh, wrought by uh, Hurricane Maria massive massive hurricane last September uh, with 155 mile an hour winds that really destroyed almost everything in Puerto Rico. Um, and we have with us this morning uh, Dr. Jennifer Ortiz, who has family in Puerto Rico, um, as well as our uh, producer Jose Aponte, who is going to chime in here in a bit too, um, and talk about their experiences in w- with their family there and um, not being able to actually find out if their family was well or not after the after the hurricane, Jen, do you want to start? Uh, so I think the hardest part was
2: immediately after the hurricane, when all the, when all the electricity went. Uh, that also meant that cell towers went down, uh, and so we had no uh, communication in or out of the island for a long time. It took us uh, just over 60 days to hear from my 84-year-old grandfather, who is uh, who is disabled uh, and, and and cannot walk on his own. And so we had no way of getting to him. We couldn't get a flight into the island. We couldn't. uh, Literally every volunteer I could find that was flying into the island, including the amazing FDNY uh, out of New York, uh, I would give everybody his address and say, please, can you just go check on him? And it took us over two months, and it took... A very distant family member going to his house to visit him for us to have any word uh, from him. He is still without power today. Right, We're uh, 150 some odd days uh, post-hurricane. He's without power. Um, and, the, and for him, that does, again, mean with no water, no refrigeration. And because he is unable to walk, it means that we're dependent on the kindness of people in his town to physically bring him food every single day, food and water. Um, and so we recently just sent $700 uh, to, uh, to him uh, so that he could replace the circuit, uh, the circuit breaker uh, in his house because it, it wouldn't have been able to sustain the new power lines uh, that are going up. So, because it's a much older home. So, we sent hundred dollars for them to change the whole circuit breaker. And they told us now that it's fixed, whenever they get the power up in his town, he will have power. Uh, but they're telling us that the estimated time is May. Uh, so, he will, he will have spent, what is it, eight, nine months uh, without power, uh, which I, I don't do well with two hour blackouts, uh, let alone, you know, eight or nine months.
1: I checked the last uh, the FEMA website, and according to their statistics, 20% of the island. Uh, lacks, still lacks power, although I've seen uh, other figures quoted as high as 45% still, so.
2: So actually what happened was that they had restored a lot of the power and then there was this uh, fire slash explosion at uh, one of the uh, plants or places that provides electricity, so it went back up to 45%. Uh, there is a website for anybody who's curious called status.pr that gives you regular updates on everything, including the med- state of the medical system, education, so on and so forth. Uh, if you do go to that, It defaults to Spanish. On the upper right-hand corner, you can change it to English. Uh, Look for the American flag and change it to English, um, and you'll be able to look at what the current state is. But... You know, if we're talking about 15 to 20 percent of the island, we're talking about uh, between a quarter million and 400,000 individuals on the island are still without power.
0: Well, and some of that is some of that that has been restored is also fragile. I've I read about a number yes. of instances where power had been restored, but then a storm came through and it was back out. Yes, um,
2: and to kind of give people an so it's idea, up and down. yeah, and, and to give people in this region an idea of what that means, imagine if uh, Floyd County, Clark County, uh, and What's the next nearest county to us? Probably um, Crawford. Probably Harrison. Crawford. Yeah. All had Harrison. no power for nine months. Yeah. That's the extent of what, of, of what we're talking about.
0: Yeah. Jose, would you want to share your family's experience?
3: Uh, well, it's, uh, my mom was in Puerto Rico. Actually, most of my family is still in Puerto Rico. Uh, my mom immigrated back for health reasons. Uh, after Maria, it took the better part of a month before we heard back from them. We couldn't reach anyone in Puerto Rico. Uh, my uncle, who's a cop in, uh, in San Juan, in the capital, happened to have a cell phone that got signal and brought some of the family members up to San Juan and called. And the only thing she was able to say was, the house is not flooded, the, uh, the walls are still standing. That was all she was able to say. But we were happy to hear that. Yeah. Um, since then, since it's taking so long, and, and mind you, eight months without power is a very long time. Imagine here in the States. We, we wouldn't survive eight days without power, let alone months. We wouldn't eight months. tolerate that. We wouldn't tolerate right. it very well. Um, so because it's taking so long, she left. She is now in Florida with my sister. Um, and she cannot wait till the day she can go back, but we don't know when that will be. Um, we're from a smaller town in the interior called Cidra. It's a bigger town, but it's still smaller than San Juan or Buenos Aires or any of the bigger cities. And uh, we have no clue. Powers up and down uh, consistently. Up and down. We have no reliability, no water, no refrigeration, no nothing. It's back to the stone ages.
2: And I think that's really important. Um, people don't really um, understand what that means, both in terms of surviving every day, but in terms of mental health. Uh, so, Dr. Abshire, uh, you, you shared the article the other day, uh, but uh, calls to the Puerto Rican suicide hotline are, uh, are have tripled. Um, so and then attempted suicides. So we had 3,050 attempted suicides between November 2017 and January 2018 in three-month period uh, in comparison to the previous year in the same time with 882 attempted suicides. Um, and then the actual completed suicides are up 29%. Right? So people are literally giving up uh, because they can't take it anymore. And that's the extent of like the human suffering uh, at the ground level.
0: Yeah, that's important. I mean ob- objectively It is easier if, you know, Clark, uh, Floyd, and Harrison counties were without power. Um, It is easier being part of, you know, a larger piece of territory to bring in aid. I mean, whenever we have, you know, an ice storm or something, you know, power crews get sent in from surrounding states to help. And objectively, it is harder um, since, you know, Puerto Rico is an island and farther away. But, um, you know, this is also just... Some of that has gone very badly. Yeah.
3: As a Puerto Rican, it was very painful for me to watch power trucks going down 65, heading towards Florida, heading towards Texas when their power was out and nobody cared about Puerto Rico. Absolutely. It it was very painful.
2: And I think that on the island and even us Puerto Ricans here on the mainland kind of had the same exact feeling. It's like, what about us? Uh, At what point do they care about our people suffering? We are citizens, right? And those of us on the mainland, are paying all taxes, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, yeah, it was kind of the feeling. There was major outrage because FEMA announced in January that it was going to pull food and water aid from Puerto Rico. It was a major backlash, and, and, and FEMA you know, backpedaled and said it was a mistake. We didn't, right. we didn't really mean to uh, say that. Mm-hmm. Um, but w- estimates are that, about between depending on the region of, of, of Puerto Rico, between 3 and 12% currently do not have running water. Uh, of any kind, I mean that they 're still dependent on bottled water for everything uh, from from cooking to uh, actually you know consuming the water
0: so the, <clears throat> excuse me, the World Health Organization uh, has established that. Per human being, you need 28 liters of fresh water per day for drinking, for cooking, for cleaning, and, you know, keeping yourself clean as well, Um, which is, uh, in, you know, U.S. terms, about seven gallons. Um, So imagine having to rely on bottled water every single day, bringing it in, per person, seven gallons. That's a lot. I mean, the burden again of that, and especially if you know infrastructure is down, and you you know there's mudslides over over roads or bridges are washed out. I mean, this is I, I, this is just unimaginable. That's really.
1: assuming there's a store nearby that you that can where get you the can get, the get it.
3: Absolutely. I, I no. actually have some experience with something like that. It was being in Afghanistan uh, with my military experience, uh, we had supplies being brought in, but if the route was blown up and we couldn't get supplies in we would have to deal with it and luckily it wasn't for any extended period of time maybe a couple of days at max
0: yeah but eight months of
3: that eight months of that, yeah, that, yeah, that, that would, absolutely i
0: and can't imagine i would
3: leave too you know yeah
2: and thing is that you have to ration the water you can't give the you know whatever the health organization says we should be having every day because if you have a limited in cases of water you're giving out limited amounts of water which means that people at the ground are having to make very difficult choices, right? Do I wash this pot today, or do I just cook in it dirty? Because I'm, I'm not
0: going to waste a half a bottle of water mm-hmm. cleaning this pot, you know? Yeah, if you're cooking pasta, you don't dump out the water. You let yeah. it cool, and you drink exactly. it. <laughs> <laughs> right? But yeah. Yeah. I think
1: that kind of leads us to perhaps uh, a bigger question is where does Puerto Rico go from here? What happens is... What is the future like for Puerto Rico? Uh, You know, in 2017, they did have a plebiscite uh, in which uh, 97% of the population of the voters voted for statehood. Now, Congress has yet to act on that, but nonetheless, of course, only 23% of people turned out to vote. And those plebiscites historically have been somewhat political footballs, the wording of the question, uh, do you leave statehood, do you... Word pro independence or a uh, free associated status. They played with the wording on most of those plebiscites, and that, that uh, there's, there's clearly some politics involved here. But I think more important is is where do we go from here in terms of Puerto Rico? What's what's the future? Large numbers are leaving. Are they going to go back?
2: I mean, I was I was always raised to be really pro independence, simply because we're anti colonial rule. Um, But, you know, knowing so much about the economy of Puerto Rico and knowing so much about the current state, I think if you make us independent, we will fall into, you know, extreme, extreme poverty. Um, And so at this point, I feel like we've been pushed into a a position where it's either statehood or complete failure. And I don't like that position, um, but in terms of our future, I feel like, that's where we would have to head to be okay in order to reestablish things like these corporate benefits and to, you know, re-energize our our, uh, economy. But I know that on the island a lot of people really don't want statehood because they're afraid – Uh, that that what has happened in other places or what did happen in other places uh, will happen to us, that we will lose our culture, we will lose everything. If you look at Hawaii, their culture has been changed so dramatically by the American influence uh, from what their indigenous people um, had before, and uh, there's extreme fear that that's exactly what's going to happen to us.
1: That's interesting. Uh, The um, resident commissioner for Puerto Rico who testified before Congress arguing in favor of statehood, uh, Jennifer Gonzalez Colón, made the following statement. She said, without the equal rights and responsibilities that are only available through statehood, Puerto Rico will never truly recover and prosper from the hurricane, uh, from the effects of the hurricane. So this is a difficult question uh, in terms of uh, looking, at peering into the future. You know, if people don't go back to the island, that's human capital. That's the future of the island.
2: I'm also afraid that what's going to happen is that if our people don't go back, uh, wealthy corporations will just start buying up the island, right, and turn it into whatever they want, which I went to Puerto Rico for the first time in the early uh, 1990s, and I've been back multiple times since. And from from 1990s till now, you've seen the dramatic change in our island in terms of corporations buying things, wealthy people buying land and building mansions and kind of changing uh, the culture Altogether. So I'm afraid that our culture will die uh, slowly if we become a state, but I'm afraid that if we don't become a state, we're really left with no option to actually, you know, recover.
1: And those that can't relocate, that can't go to one of the states, they're stuck there. They're, they're the ones that are going to have to bear the brunt of this, trend, of this period.
2: And it's great uh, that you say that because my 84-year-old grandfather cannot sustain a three-and-a-half-hour flight here. And so it's a big part of the reason why we haven't tried to force him. He is also adamant about dying on the island. He said, I was born on the island. I will die on the island. And so forcing him to come here would be impossible. So he is going to have to ride this out. And he's 84. If he lives to be 120, he'll, he'll, he'll be on the island for the next 26 years or 36 years or what have you.
0: So actually, um, I have been told that we can keep going. (laughs) So um, I guess we're going to have an extra long power hour today. Uh, But we are going to take a break. So we'll be back in just a bit.
3: You're not wired to have a response to this sound. You're neutral to it. And you can hear it repeatedly without feeling anything. But when we introduce a new stimulus, save the food. We've achieved pulling a natural or inborn response from you. Save the food. Because 40% of all food in the U.S. never gets eaten. Save the food. Cook it, store it, share it. Just don't waste it. For tips and recipes, visit savethefood.com. Brought to you by NRDC and the
4: Ad Council. When I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's first computer. I want to be a warm place on a cold I wanna day. I want to be a football I want to be a bike that races around the country. I want to be
0: a bench on a forest trail. When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be.
4: Give your garbage another life.
3: Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. Brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council.
4: There are many sounds in your day-to-day life. There are sounds that wake you up. (coughs) Sounds that make you smile. Sounds that energize you. (laughs) And sounds that help you relax. But there are some sounds that can alert you to danger and can help save lives.
0: Welcome back to uh, a slight extension of the International Power Hour. This is Jean Abshire. I'm here with my co-host uh, Cliff Dayton, and we have with us also uh, Dr. Jennifer Ortiz, who has family from Puerto Rico, which is what we've been talking about uh, today. Um, Jen, so we've talked about uh, you know the the hurricane, what a disaster it was. Um, we've we've mentioned that uh, FEMA has has uh, helped, and then. Uh, there were some issues with a statement that they were going to cease food and water assistance, but they backed off that. Uh, what do you? What's your? What are your thoughts on the relief effort in general?
2: I think that the relief effort uh, was nowhere near what I think it should have been, um, and I think, in terms of getting supplies there, quick enough. In terms of getting enough supplies there, that absolutely was not done appropriately, and I also think one of the main problems that we focused on San Juan and. I think a large part of the reason why I focus on San Juan is that is where the money is. That's the the capital, and that's also the largest city. And it is also where, where the wealthy people live, where the business owners live, where the politicians live.
3: And the first place they got power and everything else restored. Yes. So when people went down to Puerto Rico to assess the situation, they would go to San Juan and go, oh, everything's good. Bye.
2: And what people don't understand is that in Puerto Rico we have people who live in the mountains, just like we do in Kentucky, right? People who, if if a natural disaster happened, it'd be hard for us to get into those mountains in Kentucky to figure out if those people were actually alive. It's the same exact situation in uh, in uh, Puerto Rico, right? It's so my mother in law's town. Morobis is kind of like up on a mountain. You have to drive like this huge spiral to get to her town, and the the one bridge in and out of her town was down. And so while people were celebrating the, the recovery effort, we had no idea whether that town was actually uh, okay. Uh, we have people who there's, you know, four or five people uh, live on top of one hill, and and that's the extent of all people living there. So we just couldn't get to them, um, and so we started to say, oh, everything's fine in Puerto Rico, everything's great, everything's going fine, and we weren't considering any of those people who we hadn't even bothered to uh, to uh, speak to, um, and so and then when it came to restoring power, the estimates were that 95% of the island would have power by December 15th. That came and went, and that didn't happen. And then you know it came to light that the contract was given. To this company that had one employee, uh, when I mean there are mega corporations who, who probably would have been much better at restoring uh, power or just the average u s citizens I, I, you know, the, all those trucks that went down to Florida and Texas, those men and women wanted to go to Puerto Rico right they were all too ready it wasn 't the citizens of Puerto it wasn 't the citizens of of the states who uh, didn 't want to help it's it 's who we chose to give those um, contracts too. So Akon, the uh, rapper, came out and said, um, just this week, if they had given me the contract, I would have had power restored to the entire island. you don't know about Akon's efforts. You should look at his efforts in Africa. He has brought power to tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in certain areas in Africa that never had electricity before. So he knows what he's doing. He has a bit of experience in doing it. Um, and so...
3: And we also have people like Elon Musk, who set up... Um- Solar panel. Fa- uh, He's the guy who owns fa- Tesla, right? Yeah, yeah. He set up like solar power uh, farms and, and to help with the power grid. Yeah,
2: and something we also don't consider is that while our power grids here have evolved over time to use this new you know new forms of energy, solar energy, wind energy, that did never happened in Puerto Rico. So you're talking about destroying really really old power structures, um, and then not re- and then not rebuilding them in a way that would make them sustainable uh, long term.
1: Columbia University issued. A, they have a center for disaster preparedness, and they in, issued a report, kind of assessing what went wrong, the problems with, with, with the uh, uh, with the relief effort in um, in Puerto Rico, and they cited many of the things you cite, but they really focused on. They said the first ten days, it was the Department of Defense that dropped the ball, plain and simple. Uh, as as uh, the author pointed out, he said ten days. And no functioning airport on the 10th day planes are landing by visuals without electronics he said there's you can do that in one day and and they should have had people on the ground the very first day and in fact they even mentioned those plans are already in existence to to do just that apparently president trump was not even advised of the situation for three days that's just unacceptable plain and simple so they really hammered the Department of Defense in the first ten days the lack of boots on the ground to 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 begin to begin the the, the uh, uh, effort to uh, uh, work with 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 the disaster problem
2: and it's great it's great that you mentioned that because it's not the first hurricane ever hit Puerto Rico. It's not the first time we've had, you know, sustained winds or damage, right? We should know how to deal with this uh, at this point. And because we're at the mercy of the U.S. federal government, it's not like we can turn around and say, we'll do everything for ourselves, right? We can't tell other countries like, you know, Venezuela or what have you? Yeah, sure, send us stuff, no problem, please, because we have to approve everything through the federal government, especially when it comes to shipping. Uh, So we're right back to that to that Jones Act idea, right? We can't help ourselves if our hands are kind of tied.
3: I think it's clear. I think it's really clear that this has been a multi-generational issue uh, with Puerto Rico, and the solution is going to be equally multi-generational.
2: And I do want to thank the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers who just a couple days ago expressed how dissatisfied they were with the progress in Puerto Rico. And they currently have 262 people on the ground trying to make things better. And they were not happy. They said they were adamantly not happy and that we should have had 95 percent of power restored in December.
0: Uh, and And we couldn't. And you said, again, it'll be May for your grandfather, expected? They
2: are estimating May to have 100% power on the island, uh, which would include
0: his town. And I'd remind everybody that in June, hurricane season begins. And um,
2: I do want to thank you both, uh, Dr. Abshire and Dr. Staten, for even, you know having this um today. I will be visiting the island in April and I would love to come back and hopefully have some good news to give to everyone.
1: We will bring you back for an update, you Absolutely. bet.
0: Absolutely. Okay, I think we will uh, wrap up now. Thank you for listening to the International Power Hour. We do appreciate it. Um, next week we we are going to have um, an international news forum where we talk about some of the the big headlines uh, going on. And uh, there's there's been a lot of a lot of things bubbling. Uh, so we'll have some interesting stuff to say. Um, we'd also like to encourage you to go to the International Power Hour page or Facebook page. Sorry, um, we have a we have a thing there where you can tell us uh, what sort of topic you might be interested in and so um, we hope that you will go there like our page and give us some feedback on things you might like to hear about again thank you for tuning in and listening to the international power hour we'll see you next week